Que pasa, Mufasa? Konnichiwa. Salam alaikum. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker, and we've got multimedia artist and cannabis entrepreneur Emily Eisen on the podcast today. The aesthetics of the 60s and 70s have made a resurgence in today's culture. I mean, for me, it really just showcases the beauty of that time and, you know, in some ways the, there was freedom in terms of like, you know, free love and all these ideas that I think really pushed the narrative forward about cannabis and psychedelics. However, I also think, you know, the 60s were a time of terrible, terrible, you know, social injustice and, you know, revolution and, you know, people fighting for their rights. You know, you have the beautiful aesthetics. But it's not just that, it takes it a step further and, you know, puts it in the context of today's culture. And I think that's what kind of makes my work a little different. Emily's work has been featured in High Times, Playboy, Forbes, and a whole bunch of other reputable platforms. And today we get to feature her on Mycopreneur. Cool how that works. As always, thanks for listening. Please consider rating and reviewing the Mycopreneur podcast wherever you are listening and pass it along to a friend if you feel so compelled. Alrighty then, let's get the show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Emily Eisen, multimedia artist and cannabis entrepreneur. Welcome to the Mycopreneur podcast. How are things in Los Angeles today, Emily? Things are good in Los Angeles. The weather has been a little nicer, so I'm going to try to enjoy some sunshine today, but things are good here. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Got to get that vitamin D in any way you can. The natural way is the best. So, of course, your work as a multimedia artist spans a variety of mediums, which we're going to dive into shortly. And I understand that it's largely inspired by, by a push towards establishing equity in the cannabis space. That's a theme that you work quite a bit with. And I've seen a number of your, your pieces published in various magazines and you know across the cannabis space. So I'm curious about this premise of equity in cannabis because it's something that comes up a lot, but a lot of people have agreed that we still have a long ways to go. And that conversation, of course, is spilling over into the psychedelic space as well and is a very hot topic right now. So let's start off by, by setting the baseline for what does equity in the cannabis space look like to you? For me, I think equity in the cannabis space is really about um, showcasing and lifting up the people and the stories that have been here since, you know, before legalization, whether it's just in the cannabis culture in general, or, you know, if, you know, they were targeted by the war on drugs, I really, um, I really aim to push those stories to the front so that we don't forget, you know, the struggle of, you know, what this plant and the people who have enjoyed it, you know, have gone through um, just to be where we are today. So I really try to incorporate social justice in all of my projects, whether it's just, um, you know, hiring people that deserve to be showcased in the space and maybe don't have that foot in the door that I, you know, I'm lucky enough to have or to find people who have actually been incarcerated and, you know, amplify their stories. So that's um, the goal of equity in my work. In specific. 
Awesome. And I also recognize that your work explores gender identity a lot, which I believe ties into equity in some ways. You know, some of these overlooked stories or mar marginalized stories. And along those lines, how have cannabis use and potentially psychedelic use shaped your own gender identity? Well, um, me, I mean, I identify as a cis queer woman. So um, it's more about showcasing all the spectrum of the gender I, gender identity in my work. Um, and that has come through in a lot of ways. Um, for example, I just did a pride campaign last June where I showcased um, four LGBTQ creatives who use cannabis in their practice. And I put them in front of the camera and had them embody different cannabis strains. So um I really just want to put the focus on to queer people and gender nonconforming people because cannabis legalization was actually spearheaded by the LGBTQ community. Um, people like Dennis Perron, Brownie Mary, all these people who, you know, started in the Castro and fought, you know, for justice around the AIDS epidemic and, you know, medical cannabis use. So that's kind of where I like to tie the history of it all in, and you know, Queer people have been fighting for cannabis since the beginning. So I just wanted to showcase that. So these are some of the macro narratives that shape your work, talking about equity in the cannabis space, talking about gender identity. But I'd love to punch in a little bit and talk about your artistic process, because time and again, I keep hearing about professional artists talking about emphasizing the importance of process, where you're going to have creative peaks and valleys, right? You're, you're going to have certain times where you're super inspired and then other times where it's just not really clicking for you. And I think a lot of artists go through this. And my understanding of, you know, people working professionally in the art world, be it uh, a media producer or a painter or sculptor, et cetera, is that they have a process that they can lean into. And that this helps override some of these creative peaks and valleys and create a more stable and sustainable trajectory that you can bank on. So in your in your practice, what are some of these attributes that define your artistic process? I definitely think cannabis has played a really big role in my artistic process. Um, it is part of my studio setup. And I think, you know, environment is so important for art, you know, psychedelics, cannabis, whatever, you know, you're getting into. Um, but I would say I use cannabis to kind of open the doors of creativity in my mind. Um, I mean, it sounds kind of basic because artists have been doing that for like generations, but I really do think it's just such a good portal to, you know, let loose and kind of let the ideas flow through you. Um, I haven't, you know, done much on, you know, psychedelics while I'm like shooting because, you know, things can get very technical, but I find with painting, especially like that's where, you know, a microdose of mushrooms is very helpful. But if I'm doing something more technical, like, a, you know, a big production, I got to be on, um, you know, more of a sharper focus level. However, I just did a very uh, big project, maybe one of the biggest of my career. And it's coming out on February 1st. I can't say like much about it yet, but I produced and shot this cover story for a magazine featuring two 
very legendary cannabis icons. And I actually did mushrooms like the night before. So I definitely think that that was a part of my process, even though I, it wasn't like the day of, I think, yeah, like doing it the night before something really just kind of calmed the nerves and got me into a space where it's like, I trust that the universe is going to make this shoot the best it can be. So it's kind of just surrendering, honestly. I think that's such a huge, that's such a huge benefit to be able to recognize how these different substances impact you and when is the best time for you personally, because it's going to be different for a lot of people. And for me personally, I realized when I'm dealing with people, I don't love to be under the influence of anything, but of anything, but I love to use cannabis to edit my writing or to edit a podcast. I feel like it makes me my own editor, right? You create something, you make something, and then I get high and I go back and look at it again and I start filling in the blanks and seeing all kinds of things that I didn't put together. And that's something that took me a while to figure out. But once I did, I realized, wow, this is a part of my process. Like this is where cannabis fits into it. Of course, I have friends back when I used to play live music and play shows, they would get stoned before the shows and they loved it. They loved being stoned on stage. I didn't like it. So I think that's so important, right? As an artist, it's like you have to find when the optimal timeframes or windows of opportunity are for you individually and how to use some of these substances like mushrooms or cannabis to really accentuate your creativity, which, you know, a lot of people do that. And just it's about finding that what works for you. So I'm glad to, to find out that, you know, you have your baseline set there. So, you know, another thing I've noticed about your work and the research I've done is that you're very inspired by the 60s. And I think that's, you know, of course, the 60s are such a legendary time and a legendary era. And I, I'm curious about, you know, today's world, there's this reemergence, if you will, of interest in psychedelics and everyone's talking about it, right? It's like, it's been framed as the psychedelic renaissance, which is somewhat problematic to frame it that way, in my opinion, but that's what we have. It, it seems to be a very different socio-political climate as far as I can see between like when I think of the 60s, I think of super carefree people, super happy, you know, the love-ins and the human beings and Golden Gate Park and Woodstock and stuff like that. And I think in today's world and I think of, you know, psychedelics being touted as this cure, cannabis as a cure for anxiety. And it's just got like a very different narrative. So. For you, like, what is it specifically about the 1960s that's very inspiring for you? I think the, you know, obviously the aesthetics of the 60s and 70s have made a resurgence in today's culture. Um, I mean, for me, it really just showcases the beauty of that time. And, you know, in some ways, the, there was freedom in terms of like, you know, free love and all these ideas that I think really pushed the narrative forward about cannabis and psychedelics. However, I also think, you know, the sixties were a time of terrible, terrible, you know, social injustice and, you know, revolution and, you know, people fighting for their rights. And I think by kind of infusing all of those, you know, ideals into my work and, putting it through a lens of the 21st century, I think there's a beautiful kind of intertwining of, you know, you have the beautiful aesthetics, but it's not just that it takes it a step further and, you know, puts it in the context of today's culture. And I think that's what kind of makes my work a little different. You know, it doesn't look like just 
a photograph that was taken in the 60s. It's definitely like today featuring, you know, a lot of Gen Z and, you know, young people, but kind of merging those two pieces of history together because we can't forget, you know, where we come from, but, you know, and the beautiful culture of love and freedom of expression and all of the, you know, amazing aesthetics that the 60s brought, but also, you know, putting it into a, a framework of, you know, we still have so much more work to do. And I think just tapping into that energy of the 60s and bringing it to today is really what I like to do. Oh, we need so much more of that. You know, I, I long to be among a crowd of carefree peers who just enjoy each other's company. And, you know, of course we can create those environments, but I would love to see that just replicated on a broader scale. And yeah, you know, the sixties were a tumultuous time too. Of course you had the black liberation movement and kind of the roots of the LGBTQ, at least, you know, insofar as it became popularized or increasingly so. So a lot of fascinating stuff to unpack there. And, you know, as, as a professional artist and someone who you, you mentioned that you have a foot in the door and now you're creating and collaborating with all these world-class professionals, but at some point you probably had what people refer to as a big break or you got a break. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what was that break like for you when you went from being kind of an amateur, you know, unknown artist to getting some of these opportunities to work, you know, to have your work featured in Forbes and to have your work, you know, collaborating with these luminaries as you're consistently doing now. So what did that break look like in your career? I would say maybe it was a lot of little breaks. Um, I would say, I mean, my big break, I feel like I personally, I feel like I haven't even had it yet um, because, you know, maybe I'm well known in the cannabis industry, but I think I'm at this point, really looking to launch into, you know, even more of a mainstream setting. But I, I would say um, a lot of people don't know this. I actually got my start in the industry as a bud tender, like a lot of other people, you know. So um, this was pre-legalization or pre-recreational use, I should say. Um, I bud tended at a lot of different shops is kind of like the Wild West. And then I found a shop that I, you know, kind of put down roots at as a bud tender. Um, this was in Santa Monica. And I just made so many connections there. Like this, I, I just feel like I got into this industry at like just the perfect time, like right before this big boom and before it was flooded with everyone trying to come in and make money somehow. I, I really learned so much about the benefits of the plant, different types of products, different things that people use it for in their daily lives. So I really put down roots and into the, you know, the subculture of this industry and, you know, medical cannabis and just talking to all those different people. But then I kind of, I would say my break was, um, I just noticed that there was a very much just complete lack of you know, diverse, meaningful, female uh, produced, you know, imagery in the cannabis space um, and in cannabis marketing and just being a woman in the space, you know, I went through a lot um, of like objectification. So um, I was able to take that and my manager at the time at the dispensary kind of saw what I was doing on the side, you know, when nobody was around, I would be like taking pictures of my on like on my iPhone of, you know, products and 
making it all beautiful with the displays and using cannabis leaves. And she's like, Hey, you're really good at this. I think you should be our like social media manager. That's kind of how it started. I was like a social media manager, content creator for this one dispensary. And then, you know, I just started bringing my camera in. There was like a little grow room in the back and I would just like take product off the shelves, you know, go to the back, make a little, uh, set basically in the back of the dispensary and just start shooting and it kind of just blew up from there then I started doing it for multiple shops and then I started you know using those connections that I made with brands as like a butt tender and then I would you know talk to those brand ambassadors be like hey I do this now and then I started doing it for multiple brands and then that's when I I guess things just started booming and, you know, legalization hit, um, recreational shops needed, you know, real content, real marketing. And there just wasn't a lot of that before. It was very much just, you know, pictures of girls in bikinis, just with a bong, you know, kind of just like as a prop, but like what I did was kind of infuse the beauty of cannabis culture and the diversity of the people that I saw you know, coming into the shop. And I was like, why are we only showcasing this one tiny part of what this plant really is? So that was a very long answer to kind of a short question. <laughs> but um, basically, yeah, I got my start in dispensaries and moved up and found my niche. I think that's what's so important. People need to find a niche and just stick with it. And that's what I did. Totally. I think you touched on a lot there that I'd love to unpack a little further. And one thing that came up for me listening to you frame that response is about some of the the allies that you have in this space and some of the mentors that you have, right? Is that manager at the first shop where you were a bud tender noticing that you have an eye for photography and leaning into that and saying, hey, and, you know, encouraging you. And like, I often think about these little things in someone's life, how maybe you never would have ended up here if you didn't have that manager who said, you're good at this. This is awesome, right? Like, so, so who are some, who are some peers or mentors in the cannabis space that have been influential on you and that you can shout out as far as, you know, people who have helped you get to where you are today and are continuing to help you? Of course. So the manager's name uh, was Gina and I haven't talked to her in a long time but Gina if you're looking at this you know thank you so much um she's actually also a queer woman of color and I just want to give her the biggest shout out because she really recognized something in me um and gave me that chance and I think anyone you know all the people that gave me a chance at the beginning were women you know um uh I want to shout out you know Nisha Torres who's also a photographer um, and operates a lot in the cannabis space. Uh, she was definitely a big mentor for me. Uh, Rose Volka was a big mentor for me. Um, these are all just women who were like stoners who I met through Instagram and we would just get together and do photo shoots. You know, they taught me a lot about art direction and, you know, camera settings and those types of things. You know, I mean, I was like 20 at the time. So 21 me no I was like 20 so 19 even I, I was really young so I definitely had a lot to learn about the technicalities of the career that I wanted to pursue but just the support of the women around me and that kind of creative cannabis community really just inspiring me in those earlier days um 
I would say that's so important, like mentorship. And, you know, I hope that I'm doing that for other people through my work as well. Word. And your work, of course, features a lot of collage elements to it from what I've seen, at least the photography work. And I'm curious about your hardware and your software, just kind of like the technical side. You mentioned you had to learn quite a bit about that, right? Are you still shooting on your phone or have you swapped that in when you're doing these big... Yeah, yeah. What what kind of like, what are you shooting on? And do you use Lightroom or, you know, Photoshop or anything like that? Or, you know, what, what kind of gear are you using for your photography shoots? Well, a, you know, a magician never reveals all of their, tr you know, tricks. But I will say I'm shooting on a Canon uh, EOS R, which is a mirrorless camera, which is very much uh, high tech, you know, digital, uh, this like, basically just very technical camera uh, used for, you know, uh, the most high levels of photography. Um, so I'm like, honestly, still learning a lot about it. But um, that's what I shoot on. I actually just got a lens from the 1980s. It's like a fisheye lens. So pairing that with the new camera has honestly been so much fun. I love mixing elements of like, old school and new like a lot of people are like do you shoot tethered I'm like no like I shoot you know kind of old school style like you know just me and my camera um I recently started incorporating you know more computer and iPad elements into my shoes just because the nature of the work I'm doing is like you know I can't show up to a magazine cover shoot with nothing you know I, I I'm being forced to like really learn the ins and outs of the technicalities. I would say for collages, I, I print out my, um, I, I do a lot of photography, editing, printing out, you know, assembling, adding elements on top of that, and then taking a picture of that, and then using that as the final image. So it's just like a lot of different little tricks I have, but I love using you know, in camera effects as much as I can. So whether it's putting a piece of cellophane over my lens or, you know, shooting through a piece of colored plastic, just like anything to like give it that trippy effect is something that I really like. Um, I do use Lightroom and Photoshop, obviously, but yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of an old soul when it comes to technology and I'm definitely getting my feet wet because, you know, most of the things I have coming up and the goals that I have for myself is like editorial photography, you know, for magazines. So I got to set my game up in terms of the tech and everything, but I'm definitely getting there. And that's kind of my goal for this year, honestly, is to become more tech savvy with my camera and, you know, all the features that it has and video and all this stuff. <laughs> you and me both. So it sounds like photography is really kind of where you're focusing on as far as like your professional public facing body of work. I know that you do quite a bit of painting too. Is that something that you're looking to do on a more professional level, like in collaboration with brands? Or do you consider painting and some of the other mediums that you work with more as, more as an expressive outlet as opposed to like a professional craft that you're trying to, to continue to hone? both I think I I do have art that's you know just for me and my personal expression but you know in the past I have done a lot of painting collaborations with brands I actually worked with Space Coyote 
and I made a custom wood cut art piece for them. I love when brands, you know, want paintings and murals and art for packaging design and, you know, all these different things I've gotten into. Installations. I mean, I love it. I mean, personally, I think financially photography has been more lucrative. So that's kind of just what I've stuck with mostly. But, you know, if any brands out there want a custom painting or a custom mural, that would be great. Another one I did was... um uh, I collaborated with Autumn Brands and I did a live painting at um, Outside Lands, which was really awesome. So just a lot of different, you know, things, different brands want different things. But mostly I would say photography is what most people gravitate towards. Shout out Outside Lands. I, I was at the first Outside Lands in 2008, I want to say. And have been a few times. I went to school right up the street at University of San Francisco. So it's nice to hear that that festival name pop up. And that's actually the direction I want to go with the next talking point, which is about music. Because music is such a huge part of my life. And especially when you're talking about cannabis and artists and psychedelics, music usually comes up somewhere in the conversation. So who are some of your favorite musical artists and do you like to listen to music when you're creating or do you prefer to create in silence or does it depend? Uh, I mean, I obviously, I love music and need it, you know, to create. Um, I, I would say, I mean, my biggest influence, you know, not just like music wise, but just in general is Lady Gaga. I love her. Um, I think she's an incredible artist. I've like looked up to her since I was like, you know, in like, middle school so I just think as an artist she's somebody that I am just a huge fan of um and yeah I love Lady Gaga I love Tame Impala that was like like that when Tame Impala came out with Currents that was like around the same time that I discovered cannabis so my mind was just like blown with with that album I think they're like one of the best artists to create you know trippy works too so um, but I, I'm a fan of all music. I love hip hop. I love female rappers. I, you know, just the whole myriad of the spectrum. I really just enjoy music. Yeah, I'm always curious about people's early experiences with cannabis. And in your case, were you immediately a fan of it? Is it something like you tried it and then you became a stoner, if you will? Or was it something you kind of like stepped your foot into and dabbled in and then kind of like slowly gravitated towards it and now it's a big part of your life? Or what, what was that early recreational cannabis experimentation like for you? Um, okay, so this is not advice to anyone, you know, who's underage, who's listening, but someone actually had me try weed when I was like in eighth grade I think and I was like my throat was on fire I was coughing I was like this is disgusting I'm never doing this again you know why do people do this so I went you know from then on I went through all throughout high school like never touching it never really I was more into like activism and you know starting a feminist club at my school um, rather than you know, being a stoner. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I wasn't a, like a stoner in high school. I feel like it maybe would have held me back, you know, from finding other passions, maybe. But I just think, you know, I found it at a good time. I was um, in college in DC for political science. And then that's when I really 
just smoked cannabis. And then my whole world just opened up, you know, I was like, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm too creative to be, you know, an intern on Capitol Hill. So I, I left and I came home to Southern California. And that's kind of when I, you know, I started taking art classes at Santa Monica College, and then started working in dispensaries. And that's, that's been my path ever since. Yeah, for me with cannabis, I had to find the Goldilocks dose, because I had a similar sort of on-ramp into the world of cannabis where I actually got high for the first time in Jamaica. I was down there with my family for a Christmas break vacation and the hotel that we stayed at had an eccentric proprietor from Canada and my brother and I and some people had our own room and he was like, hey, we had a good year. Do you guys want some cannabis? It's on the house. And I'm like, of course, we're in Jamaica. I got to try this. And I had no idea how much to smoke, right? I know that, you know, for a lot of people who don't have sort of an older mentor or whatever. So I was like, can you roll us some joints? And he rolled us like six joints and I smoked all six of them back to back because I was just like, I, I have no frame of reference. You know, for me now I'm trying to be more active in education and like trying to, you know, take a lens of harm reduction to stuff because there wasn't a lot of that. You know, I grew up in an era where you had the D.A.R.E. program, which was essentially just just say no. And there wasn't all there was no alternative. We didn't have people saying, oh, cannabis can be great, but you have to use it responsibly. You, don't, you have to know your dose or whatever. And then later on, I found out, ooh, just like one good hit can be all that I need personally. So I'm a, a big advocate now for, you know, people not needing to do too much, because I think especially like as a young man, I, I grew up in those culture I grew up in the culture where people were like bullying you or like teasing you if you didn't finish the blunt, right? You'd be like smoking and be like, oh, you, you got to hit it again. I'm like, dude, I'm so high. I can't do it. So, you know, <laughs> but for me, once I found the Goldilocks dose, I was like, ooh, this is perfect. This is good. And so I always just like to share that, you know, it's, not, it's different for everyone. Like I've got friends who love to eat, you know, 20 milligrams or 50 milligrams of edibles. For me, I'm like, five is perfect. That's all I need. And, I, you know, yeah. Me too. Five to ten. Um, anything other than that, I'm like just out for days. <laughs> but I know people that take a hundred milligrams at a time. So it's just everyone's different. And that's what I learned, you know, as a bud tender too. It's like you can't there's no one size recommendation. You actually have to like get to know people and like talk to them and figure out what their lives are like and then maybe like find the right thing for them. But that could be like totally wrong for someone else. So it's Definitely interesting how plant medicine is just not one size fits all. Totally. I got to shout out someone who listens to the podcast sent me something called Terp Ropes. I don't know if anyone listening is familiar with these. They have 500 milligrams of hash oil in them. And I took the tiniest sliver off the side of this and was just stoned for like 10 hours, like immobile. I actually listened to like three albums. I'm trying to remember who I listened to, but like Cage the Elephant albums. I was just like, I can't move. I'm just going to listen to the whole Cage the Elephant disc discography. So just going to plug that because that was a cool move that they sent it to me. But that's going to be a lifetime supply for me, what they sent me, because that's crazy. 500 milligrams. Get out of here. All right. So the last question I have for you today, Emily, is what are you working on right now that you could share with us? You mentioned you have a big project coming up, releasing 1st of February, which you probably can't say too much about, but you alluded to it. But what are some of the other projects that you're currently working on that we can look forward to, you know, coming out of your, your camp over the next year or so? Um, well, I'm definitely, like I said, I'm really just been passionate about editorial photography so you know that that would be more so like 
mainstream publications. I would say my goal, ultimate goal is to shoot for magazines like Paper Magazine and just really like cutting edge pop culture publications would be a goal. So I'm working towards that and I have something coming out on uh, the first that should be really exciting. But other than that, I'm just continuing my knowledge of, you know, graphic design, packaging design. Um, I have been working with this company called Bon Buzz. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a non-alcoholic um, beverage and spirit, and it has all these natural ingredients and adaptogens and nootropics and 5-HTP and all this cool stuff in it um, that gives you that elevated or buzzed feeling without alcohol or THC. So it's kind of just like a its own category. But um, I did the artwork on the new cans, which should be coming out in about a month or so. So just getting into all different kinds of industries, all different kinds of creative bags. Um, so yeah, just keep on the lookout for anything with my kooky artwork on it. And all you micropreneurs and canopreneurs listening who want someone with a proven pedigree of product photography and, and branding design, you know where to look. So thank you very much, Emily Eisen, for joining us on the Micropreneur Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, micropreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micropreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micropreneur Podcast.